Alhamdulillah, Allah has given us this opportunity once again in this month of Ramadan to fast, to engage in the recitation of Quran and du'as and also to go deeper into the Quran. And this year we are going over chapter number 48, Surah Al-Fatih, the chapter of the victory, the chapter of the opening. And this evening is session number six and it'll be a two-part session. Tonight will be part one and then continuing tomorrow in this particular discussion. Uh, on the qualities of the Prophet of Islam, the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala Muhammad. And believing in and respecting the noble messenger of Allah. So let's go right into it in verse number 7 and 8 for tonight. In verse number 7, Allah says, وَلِلَّهِ جُنُودُ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ وَكَانَ اللَّهُ عَزِيزًا حَكِيمًا To Allah belong the hosts or the armies of the heavens and the earth. And Allah is all glorious, all wise. So if you'll recall a few verses ago, probably verse number four, that verse also ended in a similar fashion. At that time, Allah was speaking to the believers, speaking about the support and assistance that Allah gives to the believers. When they're in times of difficulty and distress, that Allah reminded the believers that you might be going through challenges in life, but recognize that Allah owns the dominion. He has the power over the heavens and the earth, all that is in existence, and that he is uh, two different names. He referred to himself over there as Aziz and Al-Alim, that he was all-glorious and all-knowing, knowing that meaning that he knows the plight and the situation of the believers. Uh, in this verse, though, as, as we see on screen that Identical. Verse 4 was وَلِلَّهِ جُنُودُ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ وَكَانَ اللَّهُ عَلِيمًا حَكِيمًا Whereas in verse number 7, the verse says what? The same thing وَلِلَّهِ جُنُودُ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ وَكَانَ اللَّهُ عَزِيزًا حَكِيمًا And scholars note that if you uh, go back to verse probably 1, 2, 3 and 4, again, Allah was speaking to the believers. He was reminding them that although the mushrikeen of Makkah were attacking you, they prevented the Umrah, they prevented, you know, the Muslims to go into Mecca. And, you know, we keep in mind that Mecca was basically, it was a free city in the sense that anybody who wanted to come for pilgrimage would come. It wasn't only the Mushrikeen, it wasn't just the believers. It was basically because the Kaaba had been uh, impurified by the, uh, by the idols, the idols would come to Mecca. But the Quraysh, they recognized that because Mecca was such an important town of spirituality, they did not prevent anybody from coming in. But the fact that they didn't allow the Muslims in the sixth year after the Hijra, because of obviously the animosity that was there, because of the situation between the Mushrikeen of Quraysh and the Muslims of Mecca, they were prevented. So Allah had to remind the believers that, look, I know you're wanting to go to Umrah, I know your struggles are, you know, you're struggling for this, for this dream to go again to the Umrah. But Allah reminded them that, you know, whatever happens, that Allah basically controls the dominions of the heaven and the earth. Allah will protect the believers, the mu'minin. And that Allah is alim, that he, all, he knows everything. He sees all that was going on. He saw the entire, obviously, scenario of the peace treaty and all that came, that, that, that came after it. And he's also hakim, he's all wise. And so whatever determinations Allah made that he... Uh, that the, the mushrikeen were not allowing the Muslims to go to the Umrah because Allah is Al-Hakim. He basically knows that there is a wisdom in that. This is probably something that many of the Sahaba couldn't rationalize, you know, that the Prophet saw the dream, they went for Umrah, they were prevented. 
Prophet is now telling them, you know, come out of your ihram, slaughter your animal, you shave your hair as if the umrah was done. So the, the Sahaba may not have known the wisdom, but Allah says that he is Hakim, he knows why he let that happen. But here in verse 7, Allah is speaking to the hypocrites, or speaking about the hypocrites, I could say, and the mushrikeen. And so Allah says to them that, look, you can try and prevent the believers from going for Umrah. You can try and do all that you can do to prevent the Muslims from fulfilling their religious obligations. But Allah says to them, keep in mind that Allah is Aziz. He's all glorious. He has the power, the authority. And he's Hakim, that he knows again what he's doing. He's giving you guys an opportunity, of maybe a, you know, a lapse in time that you can make up your ways and, and, and ask for repentance and come back to the, or come to their straight path. But this is where we see this, you know, the similarity and the difference in the verse. One word in two different portions of the verse addressing two different groups of people with similar goals and object, objectives, but at the same time also radically different messages Allah is bringing forth to both of these groups. As we move on to verse number 8, so tonight and tomorrow we'll look at verse 8 and 9 in a bit of detail, and that's where it really will form the crux of our discussion, where Allah begins by saying, He's speaking to obviously the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad. And he says that surely we, Allah, have sent you, Muhammad, as a witness. And again, keep in mind, whatever is in italics is an explanation to the verse. So Allah says, we have sent you, O Muhammad, as a witness, as a shahid, a shahid to the truth of Islam and the falsehood of other ways. And he's also a witness in both worlds, in both the worlds to the people's deeds. And we'll look at that a little bit later. He's also a mubashiran. A mubashir is somebody who gives the glad tidings of prosperity in return for faith and righteousness. And he's a nadir, a warner against the consequences of misguidance. So in this verse, Allah refers to Rasulullah with three unique qualities and characteristics he has. He's a shahid, he's a witness. Now, you know, one of the things that people have wondered about, people might be thinking to themselves is, Usually a shahid, a witness, needs to be present all the time. Right? If you were walking down, let's say, downtown of Saskatoon, and you get to an intersection, you're waiting across the road, and there's an accident, and you were right there when the two cars hit each other, you're a shahid, you're a witness, because you saw what happened. But if you were at that same intersection an hour later after the accident is finished, you can't tell the police that I was a witness because you weren't there to witness the accident, right? So you have to be present, you have to be there physically to be able to you know, testify to a police officer, to give a police report, maybe to go to court and defend the person that was hit in the accident. But then why would Allah call Rasulullah shahid? Okay, fine, for the 23 years of his nubuwa, he was a shahid, definitely. But even then it's limited because he would only have been a shahid in the time that he was awake, right? If he was in the city of Medina or wherever he was with companions, with the family, with the friends, and he sees somebody do something either right or wrong, then he's a shahid. He's a witness to the action. But Allah doesn't say in this verse, we sent you as a shahid 
only in Mecca or only in Medina or only at this particular time. Allah leaves it open that you are a shahid. Now again, that's basically at one level that what that means for us based on the commentary and based on the hadith and based on another verse I'll give you a reference to shortly is that we believe that Rasulullah, even though he's not physically on earth living, walking right now, but the existence Allah has given him is the ability to be a shahid even today. And it should not come as a surprise because when we talk about the martyrs, the shuhada, we know that the shuhada are still alive. So Allah gives to certain individuals this ability to be a shahid past the time of their life. Even in their qabr, in their grave, in the barzakh period, they have the ability to be a shahid. Not at the same level as Allah being a witness, um, I'll mention that a bit later, but the Prophet we believe is a witness. And so we have hadith that tell us that twice a week our a'mal are presented to the Prophet. He's given an account of the deeds of the ummah. Other hadith tell us that the 12th Imam twice a week, some hadith say once a week, he's given a record of the deeds of the, of the believers. When he sees goodness, he prays to Allah for our continued success. When he sees sins, he makes forgiveness on our behalf and asks Allah for us to have the ability to come back to the path. So that's a, that's a, a shahid. A mubashir as is uh, defined as a bearer of good tidings. So he came with the Quran, with this religion, and he told us when you do X, Y, and Z, when you believe, when you act, when you have the proper intention, when you perform these actions, that the reward is paradise. He described paradise. He talked about even goodness in this world for good actions. So he was giving us good tidings of what happens in return for the good that we do. But at the same time, he's also a nadir. He warns against the consequences of deviation. Right? There's always a balance between uh, hope and fear, khawf and raja, as the hadith talk, uh, you know, describe it. So just as the Prophet would talk about Jannah and Paradise, he also has to talk about Jahannam, the hellfire, the punishment. Right? You have to have both. You know, even you look in the world that we live in today. I don't see this in, 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 in the province of Saskatchewan, but in Ontario, when you're driving on the 401, it'll say if you go 30 kilometers over the limit, the fine is, let's say, $1,000 and three demerits. If you go 50 over the limit, this is your fine, let's say, 10000 and you have your car impounded and your license revoked. Right? So they're telling us that, look, you're free to drive on the road, but there is a punishment, there is a ramification when you break the law. Right? And that always is there within our lives. You know what? You go to school, your teacher will tell you, right? If you're late three times, you have to go to the office and get a note and explain why you're late and come back to class. When you're at work, if you don't fulfill your projects at work, you would be, you know, you couldn't even get fired if you don't do your project appropriate, you know, in the, in the proper way. So we recognize, brothers and sisters, that this entire life is one of consequence, of rewards and retribution. And Allah balances the Qur'an in the same way. There are ayat about Jannat, but there are also ayat about Jahannam. Not to scare us to submit, but to show us that there is a penalty if we decide to break the rules. And then if we want to sin, we're free to do it. But we recognize that there will be some price to pay in the world to come. So again, as we see that the Prophet is given three titles in this first verse as a shahid, 
as a mubashir, a bearer of glad tidings, and as a nadir, a warner of consequences. And again, these are very unique to Rasulullah. Obviously, other prophets also when they came, they had similar responsibilities. Uh, but I don't think we have, from what I recall in the Quran and, and what I've read, is uh, the, pro the past prophets were shahid over their ummah and not after the, the, depth, the, the death or the departure of their prophets. But in the Quran, Allah refer refers to Rasulullah as being a shahid over, uh, as, as a shahid not only over us, but Allah says over everybody in existence. Over all the previous umam, the previous nations, the previous prophets, Rasulullah is a shahid over them as well. And there are definitely other opinions of what it means to be the shahid at that level, but uh, time won't really allow us to go into the depth of it, so we will you know, leave it at that. And again, the glad tidings we, we spoke about and the warner of consequences. So if you break it down really, when you look at our lives as human beings, as believers especially, we have at least six levels of shahid or witnesses over us. Obviously, first and foremost is Allah. He's the prime witness over our actions. But the unique nature with Allah is that not only does He see our actions and hear our words, but Allah goes one step deeper that He knows our niyyah, our intention. Right? So we know that our deeds, our actions are based on the intention. A person could be fasting this today in Ramadan, for example, but they're doing it because their parents have forced them to, or they're doing it for some other ulterior motive. People come and pray every day, but are people praying for the sake of Allah, or do people pray because of, let's say, showing off to people around them, or just, you know, it becomes a habit, they become habituated to salat, to namaz and jamaat prayers. And so they're not doing it for Allah or for that, but it's just, it became a habit, a ritual, right? People give donations to build centers, to do tabligh work. But sometimes people make a condition that I want my name mentioned. I want this classroom, let's say, mentioned that I gave the money for the donation. So people would see the donation, but people wouldn't see the niyyah, the, in, the, you know, the intention. Allah would see that, and then Allah would, re, you know, reward a person commensurate to the intention that they had. So Allah is the ultimate witness because He sees everything and He knows why we do the action. We then know that the Quran tells us, and I haven't brought the verses just to keep time, uh, but in chapter 50, which is Surah Qaf, verse 18, Allah tells us that there are angels that record all of our deeds. Right? Some call them Munkir, and, or some call them Nakir and Nakir, some are Raqib and Atid. Kiram al-Katibin, these are all different names that are used for the two angels. But whatever they are, we're told that these two angels are with us. They're the right one, the angel on the, on the way it's defined as the angel on the right side, records our good. The one on the left records our sins. So these are also witness over our actions. Um, but if you look at Dua Kumail, there's actually a very interesting line because in that Dua, there's a point where Imam Ali salam says that وَكُنْتُ أَنْتَ رَقِيبَ عَلَيْهِمْ وَالشَّاهِدَ لِمَا خَفِيَ أَنْهُمْ وَبِرَحْمَتِكَ أَخْفَيْتَ وَبِفَضْلِكَ سَتَرْتَ Which basically means that Imam Ali is saying that yes, Allah, you are the ultimate witness, but then you have angels as well that witness. But he says, out of your grace and mercy, these angels, some of our actions are even hidden from them. And it is out of the mercy of God 
that he covers some of our sins from the angels. Right? And we have hadith that tell us that if a, if a believer commits a sin, there is six hours, 12 hours, there's a certain time frame in the hadith, I don't recall specifically, but there's a number of hours where the angels are told, don't write down that sin because my servant may go and make tawbah. Right? So even when we sin, Allah gives us this opportunity to ask repentance so that sin is not even recorded in the book. After the angels, after Allah and the angels, then we have the prophet and imam. So in chapter 9, Surah Tawbah, verse 105, again, I'm not bringing the verses here. Allah tells us that the prophet and the mu'minun witness our actions. Right? And again, we have to go to the, we'd have to go into a detailed analysis of that verse, but you can read it and look at the commentaries. But again, we're told in the Quran directly that Rasulullah and the Mu'minun, which the hadith define as the Imams of Ahlul Bayt, peace be upon them all, that they are a witness over all of our actions. Number four in chapter 41, verse 21 is our body parts. Right? The Quran says on, on that day, on the day of retribution, the day of judgment, that our skin will speak and bear witness. Right? Even in Surah Yasin, we read this, where Allah says, Al-yawma nakhtimu ala afwahihim, wa tukallimuna aydihim, wa tashhadu arjuluhum bima kanu yaksibun. Allah says, on that day, we will seal the mouths of all of humanity, and their hands will speak, and their body will, will basically testify what we did in the world. So if we think that we could hide and do a sin in our house and Allah can't see, well, we know He sees. If you say, well, the angels aren't there, well, no, angels are with us. If you say, well, the prophet is in his grave, the imams are in their grave, they can't witness, well, they're a witness. But if you still want to argue, you can't deny your body, you can't deny your hands are with you, right? When you, uh, you know, do something haram with your hands, when you pick up that bottle of alcohol, your hand will witness on the day of judgment that this servant, he disobeyed God with this. Right? The skin will bear witness that the skin will say, I didn't want to sin, but my owner made me sin. Our feet will petition Allah that I didn't want to go to the nightclub, but my owner made me go to do all that haram, to be in those environments. So our body parts, brothers and sisters, will bear witness on the day of judgment for or against us. Then the fifth one is in Surah Zilzal, Surah Zalzala, chapter 99, verse number 4, that earth, planet earth will bear witness for or against us. The good that we do and the sins that we do, earth will bear witness to Allah and the earth will speak. Well, how does the earth speak? Well, the same way Allah will make our hands or our eyes or our feet or our skin speak about the sins. The earth will also be given the ability and opportunity to communicate and it will speak to Allah. We see this directly in Surah Zalzala again, where Allah tells us uh, that the earth will convey akhbaraha. It will give forth its news of what people did on it. And then the last but not least is time, the zaman, the time, every time, every minute, every hour, every second, every day will bear witness for or against us on the Day of Judgment. These, we think them to be uh, you know, create, or things that have no intellect or don't have the power to reason or communicate, but Allah will bestow that to, upon these things. 
And this last one is based on a very interesting hadith which I will share with you from Amir al-Mu'mineen, Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib alayhi salatu wassalam. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala Muhammad. In which he says in Al-Kafi that time is one of the major witnesses. So he says, مَا مِنْ يَوْمٍ يَمُرُّ عَلَىٰ إِبْنِ عَادَمْ إِلَّا قَالَ لَهُ ذَلِكَ الْيَوْمِ أَنَا يَوْمٌ جَدِيدٌ وَأَنَا عَلَيْكَ الشَّهِيدٌ فَافْأَلْ فِي خَيْرًا وَأَمَلْ فِي خَيْرًا أَشْهَدُ لَكَ بِهِ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ فَإِنَّكَ لَنْ تَرَانِي بَعْدَ هَذَا عَبَدًا Amir al-Mu'mineen says that not a new day dawns on the progeny of Adam, on humanity, on you and I, except that day speaks and says, I'm a new day, and I am a witness over you. So then do good in me, and perform righteous actions in me, for I will testify for or against you on the day of judgment, and realize that after this moment, you will never see me again. Today, on this day of Ramadan, on the sixth day of Ramadan, March 29th, I think we're at today, if I'm not mistaken. 28th, excuse me. March 28th, this day will never come again. March 28th, 2023 will never come again. Next year will be 2024, 2025, and so on. So Amir al is saying every day that comes, it's a new day. Think of it as a new box, right? You have little boxes. Tonight, whether you look at it at midnight or you look at it at Maghrib from the Islamic perspective, because for us Maghrib is the new day when Maghrib, when the Adana Maghrib starts, that's technically the end of, the, of Tuesday. Or we look at, at midnight will be the end of Tuesday from that perspective. But imagine a new box is given to you, that's the new day. And whatever good you do is put into that box. Whatever sins you do are also put into that box. And then once... The end of Wednesday will come tomorrow. Once the end of today will come, that box is sealed, it's shut, and it's put somewhere for the day of judgment. You'll never see that day again, brothers and sisters. Whatever we did of good today, that's all we can do in good today. We can't turn back time. There's no back to the future. Happens in Hollywood. You can't do that in the world. You can't go back in time and do good and then come back into the future. Right? So we have to recognize that today, the 24 hours that God gave all of us, and we all have the exact same 24 hours, from the greatest of you know, maraja and mujtahideen to, the, to all of us over here, we're all the same amount of time. We all have the same ability to do good. We all have the same ability to excel spiritually, to do good actions, to fill our boxes of goodness. Because as the commander of the faithful says that, you know, the, the, the time will be a witness over us. The time will speak. It will show what we had done. And it will testify for or against us on the day of judgment. And after this day, again, it won't come back again. So whatever we can do for our own betterment is what we have to do. And if we don't, then we have basically lost out. And that's why even in the Quran, in chapter uh, Surah Al-Asr, where Allah begins by saying, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, Wal Asr, I swear by time, Innal insana lafi khusr. Indeed, all of humanity are losers. We're all in a loss. Illa ladina amanu, except for those who believe and who do good actions and encourage others towards the haq, towards patience, and towards the haq. So Allah lays down the law in the Quran that we're all losers as humanity. 
We think we're, we're, you know, we're, we're the best. We think we have this and that. We think we're moving ahead. But if we're not you know, on that path of faith and good actions and encouraging others towards the truth and towards fortitude and patience, then we're a loser and we've lost that day. Now, that doesn't mean we are now losers for life. No, because as we know that Allah will give us another day to live, hopefully, inshallah. But we don't know if we'll live, right? That's also a what if, right? What if we don't make it to Wednesday, right? Then whatever we did up until today, from the day we became baligh until today, that's all we get. Unless people do goodness for us, like as we have in this community, people sponsoring iftar, we'd recite Surah Fatiha, we get little presents in the qabr. But those are little gifts we get, right? Little in the sense that it's things that we rely on other people to take, to give for us in the akhirat. But why not do for ourselves? You know, this is uh, one of the things that I hear many people, I've seen many people do, unfortunately. They amass a fortune. They have, mashallah, large bank accounts. But what they say, and I've heard this directly from them to me, is that, you know, I've written in my will when I die that my, my, my inheritors should give this much money to this center, they should do this in my name. They should do this good action in my name. And I respond immediately that, A, how do you know that your money will be worth anything when you die, with, especially with inflation as we see today? Right? Even if you have a million dollars, it literally means nothing today. Right? The buying power of a million dollars today in 2023 is nothing compared to, let's say, 20 years ago. But number two, let's just say your money has worth. How are you so certain that your children or your spouse, whoever inherits, will be good enough to do the actions you want them to do? Today, your children might say, yeah, mom, dad, you know what, if you pass, when you pass away, whatever money you leave behind, we'll give it to the Husseini, we'll do Umrah for your, on your behalf, we'll go for ziyarah, we'll do Hajj, we'll cover your missed namaz, we'll cover your missed fasting, we'll give in charity. But believe me, brothers and sisters, again, I've seen this when, when, a, when a man or a woman, when a child who's, let's say, an adult, when they inherit half a million, a million, whatever amount you leave them, do you think they will truly do what, they are, that, what they, you've asked them to do? Money changes people, unfortunately, and time changes people. You know, and there's no guarantee that your spouse or children, even if they're believers today, that they will be believers tomorrow. Or even vice versa, right? Um, give you an example is that when I was in one community, a man comes up to me probably in his 50s or so, and he lives in a part of Canada where, you know, property, residential properties are starting off at around one and a half, two million dollars. But he bought his house, you know, years ago, and he had a, so he had a nice house. The, obviously, the, it, you know, the, 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 the value of the home has increased. He has his savings, all of this and that. But he comes to him and he says, you know, I have an issue. He says that, you know, my, I have all of this property. I have money. I have investments in case I make it to the age of retirement. But he's like, when I, my wife and I got married, we were both very irreligious. We were completely secular Muslims. We had two or three children. Now he, he says, I've come to the path of Islam. My wife, she's remained secular. She doesn't wear hijab, doesn't pray, doesn't fast, doesn't believe in the wajibat. My boys, they run, a, they run, one, run, one runs a nightclub, one runs something else that's haram. So he says, Sheikh, is there some way I can cut them out of my will? 
Is there some way that I can make sure they get zero money? Because if they get my inheritance, my sons will probably further develop their nightclubs. They'll big, build a bigger club and I'm going to get azab. I'm going to get punished in the grave because they're using my money to do haram. Right? And I mean, what can you do? You either spend it all in your lifetime as much as you can or you, you, know, you hope and pray your children and spouse come back to the path. Right? There are very few things you can do when you're in that situation. So the goal is, is to ensure that you're obviously marrying the, right pe marrying the right person, that you're bringing up your children in the best way possible and hoping and praying that everything continues in that way, but there's no guarantee. And so that's why I would say that if you have wealth, if we have wealth that obviously we keep for retirement, we keep for a rainy day, that's also Islamic. But recognize that we should be doing good with our wealth Today, we should be spending our money in the way of Allah today, doing as much goodness as we can. Again, not in terms of the quantity of money we give, but the quality and where we give it. We make sure we diversify our donations. We give to as many causes as we can that we find that are valuable. We investigate every cause. Don't just say, oh, somebody came to Saskatoon and is raising money to build a mosque. So I'm going to give $10,000. Why? Because it's a mosque, brother. It's thawab. It's thawab in it. Really? Are you sure it's thawab to build a mosque? What if they're building a masjid in a city which has 10 other masjids and they're building it to compete? Then is there thawab in it, right? So don't just give to people that come and get, ask you for money, but do in some level of investigation. Make sure what they're doing is beneficial, right? Ask the questions. Is there oversight? Is there transparency? Are people siphoning off the funds? Make sure that what you give is in the proper uh, cause. We'll end with this last verse, verse very quickly. Um, that Allah says in verse 9 that in order that لِتُؤْمِنُوا بِاللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ وَتُعَزِّرُوهُ وَتُوَقِّرُوهُ وَتُسَبِّهُوهُ بُكْرَةً وَعَسِيلًا that all of this was done so that you, the human, humankind and the jinn, that you could believe in Allah and His Messenger, that you may help Him and honor Him and glorify Him in the early mornings and in the evening. So Allah leaves a couple of things here. I'm going to round up in the next minute. Allah says two things about Him, that you believe in Allah and that you submit to Allah in prayer day and night. Right? Submission to Allah is a continuous act in our lives from the time that we become valid until the time we leave this world. And the three things that Allah tells about the Prophet that we are obligated to do is believe in the Prophet, assist and defend the Prophet in any way possible against the attacks of the enemies, especially in our era where people are insulting and mocking the Prophet, we owe it to Rasulullah to defend his honor in public and to honor and respect him. In a gathering, whenever we remember the Prophet, when we hear his name, we send a salawat on the Prophet Muhammad. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala Muhammad. And honoring and respecting the Prophet, brothers and sisters, is not a recommended action. It is wajib according to the Quran. There's a, a four-page document we produced. We'll have the, the, the executive committee mail this out to the community. It's a short four-page on how to honor and love and respect the Rasulullah from the viewpoint of our, our maraja. But this is an obligation we have, brothers and sisters, too honor and respect and defend the dignity of our beloved Messenger of Allah.